Yo, welcome to the podcast for this weekend of June 13th, June 14th. Today's guest, uh, Assemblyman Brian Kolb, formerly the leader of the minority in New York, the Republican Party in Albany for the Assembly, had to step down from that gig after a little incident that happened on New Year's Eve, which we will talk about in this interview. Um, I think you'll you'll find uh, some of the stuff he has to say very interesting. I certainly did. Um, a couple of things before we get to the interview with Brian Kolb, I just wanted to talk, first of all, I wanted to give a shout out to my wife who got her master's degree from Roberts Wesleyan and we had a graduation party yesterday and it was our first like gathering since COVID left. We, we went to my mother-in-law's once a couple of uh, weeks ago for a small gathering. This is the first time we had anything at our house. So at our house yesterday, we had about, I should have done a head count, but maybe 12, 13 people. Which was big for us. That was a big, big head. That 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 was. We were definitely a house that two months ago, you know, you couldn't. <laughs> my wife would glare at the mailman if the mailman got within five feet of our house. So we we're making steps in this house. We're not ready to go out to eat yet. We had originally thought we were going to do this little graduation party during the middle of the day, and then at night, Ryan and I would go out to a restaurant, and we we kind of we chickened out of that. I will say I was happy to see a lot of restaurants were pretty busy this weekend uh, based on just what I'm seeing on social media. And everyone kind of talking about how weird it is to go to a restaurant and really just the continuing polarization of this country, which is another thing we're going to get into in the Brian Kolb interview, is just how polarized this country is right now. Because really, based on social media this weekend, you had a group of people who were like, woohoo, it's over, we beat COVID, let's go drinking. Go to the bar, you know, and then you see pictures pop up all kind all over the place. Million people in one place at one time. No social distancing at all. And and to be honest with you, that seems a little lackluster to me. Sure, I see where that's not right. I'm, I look at that and I go, yeah, it's not. We're not there yet. We shouldn't be there yet. I like that you can go to a restaurant. I like that you can sit. You know, every other booth and there's plexiglass that's hung between the booths and. Things are being served on paper plates and paper cups. And I like all that with restaurants being open. I don't know, though, that that I I don't know that I love people just kind of acting like nothing ever happened. But that's happening all over the country every day and in Rochester a little just this weekend. On the other hand, I continue to be overly annoyed by the people who are still under the impression that if they come within six feet of another human being, they will drop dead on the spot. That is also not a thing. And uh, that's starting to annoy me as well, is people who are people who take to social media can tell I scrolled through Twitter this weekend. Yeah. People who take to social media and say, this is this is all happening too fast. We're not ready for this. No, there's there's a middle. I don't like the people who are out at the packed bar and I don't like the people who are on Twitter saying, oh, no, this is way too early. Guys, we got to there's got to be a step back into normal that we all collectively take here. We have got to be okay with going in public, not asking you to stand in a crowd, not asking you to allow someone to sneeze in your face, just asking you to be okay with being in public. That's all. That's all. By the way, speaking of go out in public, did you see Wegmans has announced the quote unquote new normal? Their new hours will be 6 a.m. to midnight, and that's what they consider to be the permanent new hours or I guess they called it they the words they used were new normal 
But I think what they're trying to tell us is none of our stores are going back to 24-7 anytime soon. And I think that's also a good thing. Those stores being open 24, there was no reason for some of those stores to be open all night. They weren't doing a lot of business. Now, I will admit every once in a while back when I was working in radio, I'd work up, wake up at 2.15 a.m. And occasionally I would swing by that East Ave Wegmans, go in there and buy something for lunch at like 2.45 a.m. There was never anyone in there. It was always just me. You know, there's never a crowd. They couldn't have been making a lot of money. Granted, there's only at that point one or two employees, but still, you know, that there wasn't a lot going on. I, I can't imagine why they were even open all night. I, I can't imagine there was a huge amount of profit there. But but nonetheless, uh, I, I don't see the harm in them being open 6 a.m. to midnight. I guess the one argument you can make is, well, what about somebody working third shift who gets a lunch break at 2 a.m. and needs to go grab something to eat? Yeah, I do feel bad for that person, but there are a couple of all-night diners that are open. And on top of that, that person can just simply do what the rest of us do and think ahead. You know, grab their lunch before they go into work. Put it in the fridge. Simple. Anyway, 6 a.m. to midnight for Wegmans for the foreseeable future. And I, I and I don't hate it. I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, okay, let's get to the interview. Assemblyman Brian Kolb. I first met him when I was cooking for a charity dinner. He uh, came into the kitchen where I was cooking and started talking to me. And, uh, you know, and he was a great dude. And we were talking a little sports. And I'll be honest with you, I had no idea who he was in that moment. But we had a nice little conversation. He hung out with me for five or ten minutes in the kitchen, just me and him, while I was preparing the dinner. Then he went back out there. And then, uh, you know, as I was mingling a little later, I came to find out that he was the minority leader for the assembly in New York State. So I talked to him a little bit more and he just turned out to be a good guy. And we, we, I, I, we you know, a little friendship bloomed out of that. And I was I was happy to say that I'm very happy to call him a friend. I think he's a great person. I think his wife, Lauren Kolb, also a wonderful person. Um, and as you'll hear at the very beginning of this interview, I think he's a stand up guy. And I'll explain why. And we'll get to the life of Brian Kolb. Enjoy. I got to start off with, I love that your wife is here because the moment I fell in love with you, Brian Kolb, <laughs> Kolb or Cobb, by the way, Kolb. it's Kolb. I know it. I knew it. The moment I fell in love with you was when you called me to yell at me. Do you remember what, it, do you remember this? I do. I was sitting right here. We're in my front yard again. I was sitting right here and it was, wasn't in my front yard. I was up in my office and my phone rings and it's you. And I answer the phone thinking I'm funny because I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? What did I do? And you go, well, it depends. What did you say about my wife this morning on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> and I just go, 
Oh shit! Because oh, there was a. Do you remember the origin story of this? Do you remember what happened? Yeah, and uh, for names that protect the innocent. Do you not want me to? I, I've said her name before. The other person. Oh, that's all right. I have said her name. You know what I'm talking about? Like I yeah. told this story publicly, and she, I think she thinks it's funny oh, now okay. too. Because I've good. become friends with her, by the way. Oh, good. So we're at the New York kitchen, yep. uh, their garden party, mm-hmm. and you are talking, and I'm sitting there, and I've got this exact recorder actually, and I'm running around doing radio for my stupid little food show, and uh, I'm asking everyone like what their favorite food is, and there's all these like dignitaries, and I'm just running around asking everyone like, what's your favorite hot dog, red or white? And but anyway, but you know, so you're an important politician, and you're talking to Lori Van Dusen, who is like the one, the world's best financial advisor, right? And you guys are having this conversation, and I just approach you, and I'm like, Mr. Kolb, it's uh, Polly Guglielmo with Wham 1180, and, you know, we knew each other already, you and I, but she didn't know that. She thought I was legitimately just a member of the press, like, accosting you in public, and she jumped into mama bear mode, man. <laughs> she did. She was ready to get between us and go, he is having a private conversation right now. And, and we actually, uh, Lori and I, were having a conversation. I don't even know what it was now, but... Uh it was general chit chat. It wasn't anything, uh, you know, world saving or anything. So like I that. go on the radio the next day and I tell that story, and I and you know your wife's name is Lauren, who by the way, the wonderful uh, Lauren Kolb is sitting right here uh, for this podcast. Are you going to jump on it all during this? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wait a minute. I can get you a microphone. She's never been shy about here take, you entertainment. Take, you hold that whole little contraption there. Try not to hit any of the buttons, or we might actually stop recording. But I should have been more better prepared. Anyway, I'm trying to drink a beer, smoke a cigar, and look cool in front of the Kolbs right now. But, uh, yeah, so you can bring that right up to your mouth. So that night, you know, you were there as well, obviously. I went on the radio the next day, and I told that story, and apparently it got back to you, Brian. And somehow you had heard that I had called your wife a bitch. Do you remember that? That's correct. And someone had called me and said, did you know that on the Brother We show that Polly called your wife a bitch. In fact, I think somebody called Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. And she called me, and I said, no. I said, well, let me call. I got his number. I'll just call him. <laughs> Which I love, by the way. I love that you're like, I'll just call him. Yeah. Let me just call personally. Like, the literally, like, the, the leader of the minority assembly, the assembly whatever. It's, it was, Literally yeah. called me personally on my cell phone to be like, what'd you say about my wife, punk? <laughs> like, I loved that. That was so cool. Let's see. That's the... In the business that I've been in for the last 20 years in terms of politics, there's no shortage of rumors and people saying things. And, and But what's even uh, funny, like on radio shows or even on TV, yeah, people s- say they saw something on TV yeah. or that they heard something on TV or radio. And then when you ask them what it was, well, you know, I saw you, but I have no idea what you were talking about. I said, which is not good. Yeah. <laughs> no, that it, in radio for years, same thing, right? People hear... They hear 50%, and then they just fill in the other 50% with whatever they think. Yep. And I guess in politics, you probably deal with that all the time, too, right? Absolutely. I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating. But anyway, thanks for coming over and doing this. It's Lauren, thanks for being here as well. Sure, it's a uh, so let's. I want to talk about you, your whole life. Let's talk about everything. Let's go all the way back. Where did you actually grow up? Well, I'll give you the try to be as brief as possible so we don't bore your listeners. I actually was born in the city of Rochester okay. in Norton Village. And uh, for the first 12 years of my life, my parents, uh, you know, kind of bounced around a couple different places in Monroe County. Uh, Our last destination, we lived on the corner of Dernan and North Street, and they owned a corner uh, restaurant called the Dutch Treat. 
And their claim to fame was a neighborhood restaurant, uh, local establishment was the Friday Night Fish Fry. And I actually went to school at St. Andrews, which is now closed, for mm-hmm. grammar school. Mm-hmm. And so after uh, my dad lost his business. Um, what was his business? Uh, uh, well, he actually originally, a World War II vet, went to work for RG&E after the war. And then had that American dream of doing his own business, which was the restaurant business. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And due to circumstances and whatever, you know, they it's, went out of business. It didn't work out. So what he kind of had food to, was it? What's that? What kind of food were they serving? Uh, just what you would call the standard American uh-huh. fare. Yeah, uh, like, a, like diner food, like burgers, fries. Yeah, but they on Friday nights they had fish fries, lobster tails, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they'd pack the place, but not, I mean, back then the place seemed huge. Uh, but it really wasn't, you know, because I've been back to visit a couple times. I think now it's a church on, on the corner. You uh, you were a men's clothing salesman for a little while. Correct. <laughs> what was the name of the guy again in Canandaigua? Bernie Shankman. Bernie Shankman. You were, you were a men's clothing salesman for a little while. You were a plant manager in Florida, then back up in Rochester. You had a knack for like... What do we say? You would turn things around. They would bring you into a plant that was a mess, and you could turn yeah, that turnaround around. specialist, so to speak. Turnaround specialist. Yeah, that's a perfect name for it. Uh, so I think at the story where we are caught up in the story right now is you're back in Rochester. You're you are the plant manager. Uh, you have just changed to basically go work for the competitor. Correct. Right. And now you're working for the competitor. You're going against your old guys at this point. And then I think right where we left off was. You've just met your partners to start your business. Right. right? We uh, I worked at Dallinger for three years, and that's where my uh, three other partners, uh, George Basil, who was the uh, uh, vice president of marketing, Fred Torella, um, vice president of engineering at Dallinger, and then Dick Felber, uh, head of our sales group. Uh, so I, as I met them, worked with them, we got to be friends. And we just formed a bond. And eventually, what was interesting about it is that we each brought our own talent to the company. Uh, So George had a long uh, time experience in sales marketing, but also as an executive vice president in not only at Dallinger, but at Garlock. And and then uh, Dick Felber, who is similar to my age. And all these guys are from Rochester. great sales guy he's got his own business now mm-hmm. in rochester that i think he's brought his family into and then fred torello was in engineering and then i was the operations guy so the four of us talked several times and then we said we can do this better well, well hold on a second so you're at dollinger the four of you guys are working together and you're just getting along right you got the four of you guys are just like yes we are like we're yep. the four horsemen. We got this, right? You got it. And you really were just, so you say making filters. Is that what Dollinger did was make yep. filters? industrial air, gas, and liquid filters. Got it. And so the four of you guys are going, hey, I think there's a few things we can do better. What were the things that you guys recognized where you knew you'd have a competitive advantage? You just, you were going to do it better. Well, the short version is we weren't, at the time, Dollinger was privately held. And privately held, very conservative, didn't want to take any risks, no chances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we wanted to do more, expand the company, grow it. Uh, and then, so we were started a whole process of going out and looking at starting our own company. And then uh, Dallinger sold out their company to another company called American Filtrona. And they're based in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And they said, well, 
let we all said let's wait around and see what the new guys are like and maybe if things all work out well it was even worse because <laughs> now you had this company out of richmond virginia their claim to fame was actually making cigarette filters and uh, their most uh, popular one was the Vantage. I don't know if you ever remember seeing a Vantage cigarette. No. What's it? in the metal. Yep. And they had a little, almost pleated like air filter at the. Is that the thing that's? Am I thinking of the right thing where you could bite onto it? Yeah. And I would. I had always heard that that was for soldiers, so soldiers could hold their cigarette in their mouth with about, you know, while they still had use of their hands because they were able to like bite down on the cigarette filter. Is that right? Yeah. So they, they knew the cigarette or what I'll call the cigarette filter business yeah. but they didn't know the industrial filter business and we did and they bought you guys and it was clear to you like wait they don't our our division here they don't know what they're doing with yeah. us one of our largest customers at Dallinger at the time was Ingersoll Rand Company and it's an original equipment manufacturer which means your name isn't on the their product they just use their product but it's a very it's always a very low cost you do it high volume low cost and so when the new company took over they said to dick felber and to george basil you gotta go down to ingersoll rand and tell them you're going to raise prices 25 percent and they said if we go down to ingersoll rand and tell them we got to raise prices 25 they're going to say well we're no longer going to do business with you i mean this is a huge yeah. international account so no no you're going to do this so they marched down and to uh mayfield kentucky and said, well, hey well, you know uh, new sheriff in town we got to raise prices and they said which they thought we'd say <laughs> get lost get lost yeah so the guys come back they report in to the new management and then the new management says well you can't let that happen you got to get back on the plane and reverse the deal yeah uh-huh. Well, wait a minute. You just told us to fly down there. <laughs> They're motivating you to go start your own business right now. It, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that was really kind of the straw that broke the camel's you're, back. You're sitting, you're, because honestly, you're sitting here going, what are these guys? <laughs> these guys are idiots. Correct. <laughs> and we're working for them? And by the way, now you know of a big client who needs a new supplier. Uh, that is right? correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So well, we couldn't really talk about it. Right. Right. So did you get, so the four of you was at the point where you said, okay, we got it. Let's go do this. Yeah. yeah. So we all, uh, <clears throat> we had all. Uh, put money into the business out of our own pockets to start it. And can I ask, and if the, then this is too personal, but it's a while back, but where, how were you financially at that time? Did you have the money to go start a business, or were you risking a lot by oh, doing this? God, no. I would. I had just had gone through um, separation and starting yeah. a divorce proceeding for my first wife, so I didn't <clears throat> have any resources. That I had to go out, took a little bit of my credit line. I had to go out and borrow money. Yeah, so you so you put yourself on the line to go Absolutely. do this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the four of you you do you start this business, yep. and is it just great from day one, or were there some growing pains? Or oh, what? there's always growing pains, especially when you have a partnership, mm-hmm. uh, because everybody cares. But also, quite frankly, yeah. each of us we're all strong-minded individuals. Sure. Always said that our th- approach would be best uh-huh. but when you have a partnership you got to figure that out yeah and uh hey, you're four people are just not going to always agree on things no yeah and um but we did it and um we were successful um any money that uh, we had some we had bank investments and then we had some private shareholders uh we eventually sold a company everybody got paid back we made some money all of us uh, got employment contracts, but really, we we 
got taken. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, really? the company was much more valuable than what we sold it for. Wow. And we, you know, we did okay, but not what you would think. We yeah. weren't millionaires or anything like that. And It uh, wasn't, you weren't set for the rest of your life. No, God, no. no. And no. uh, So do you ever, then, had, had, now the way life turned out now, you know, life turned out great for you, obviously, but... Uh, did, do you ever regret that and kind of think back like god we should have stuck with that a little while longer we should have held out well that's the, the comment to you would be hindsight is always twenty twenty. right right and based on that sure i would have redone that one again yeah uh because quite frankly the the reward was not worth what we in looking back said no we could we could have done better longer and sold if we wanted to sell it for more money down the road. Um, but, you know, that's life. So what was your plan once you sold that business? I mean, this had been your your life for a long time. Now, you got years into that business, the filter business. You sell. I assume, speaking of non-competes, I assume you, s- you signed some sort of filter business non-compete at that point, right? Yeah, it was a, f- a five-year uh, employment agreement. And at the end of five years, we could Do sort it. of go wherever we wanted to go. Okay. And uh, which I did. In fact, the very next day after my employment agreement ran out, I started a new job uh, with a company that uh, was right next door, Refractron Technologies. And I, I ended up becoming the president and chief operating officer of that company. It was in the, it was in the ceramic business, infiltration and diffusion. So it wasn't a competitor at all, but it was literally right next door that's kind of funny like you just you went one building over (laughs) but it got me an opportunity to run if you will for me to be president yeah to put my handprint on the company so instead of four guys making decisions now it's one guy who's going to make the decision i had to report to the owners and um and they were all good guys but you know it's still their business Mm -hmm. and one of the things that at times i forgot along the way is their business brian it's not your business and i wasn't the owner but i said you know i want to run this place you know leave me alone (laughs) yeah right (laughs) right the relationship between a ceo and an owner when that's the situation can be it can be great and but it sometimes also can be contentious right because the ceo's running everything the owner's at home and then the owner all of a sudden has an opinion if the owner was home i would have been happy oh the owner was in every day (laughs) oh yeah but i and it's i i have nothing but fond memories and any uh, valleys that were experienced were good valleys yeah. to looking back. And I can laugh about it. Hopefully, Bob uh, can laugh about it as well. Um, but I, I think I quit on him three times in my first really? six months. <laughs> it was that rough, huh? Well, <laughs> well, it's just because Bob had a reputation for hiring somebody to run the place. And then he'd come in and want to do it his way, which right. I get as an owner. But if you're going to bring someone in and hire them and pay them to be the president, you got to let them do their job. Can you have a uh, talk with the Cleveland Browns, please? Because you are describing <laughs> the Cleveland Browns problem exactly. The owner wants to hire people, and then he wants to just discard everything they say. And anyway, uh, I get it, though. But it, I but get it, it. It worked out in the end. And, uh, and so I was there, and then just about six years in, you know, I, I actually was working with a life coach uh, in Rochester. A life coach? A life coach. It's interesting. What made you go to a life coach? Um, because it was one of those... How old were you? I was... Uh, hold on. Bear with me. Right. When did I start working with Barb? Um, let's see. I left... Or no, 94. 
So forty, about forty-four. Okay, I was 44. forty-four. And you're at, and you are, you're at an interesting time in life because you've had this accomplished business career, right? And it sounds to me like you're starting to realize something has to come next. Yeah. Right? Well, what was happening was is I was running the company. Everything was great, but I was also at that time then very involved with community stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I did hear that you were a uh, play-by-play guy for a certain basketball team. I was in my way younger days. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, was it the Honeyoy Falls or Honeyoy? Honey Honeyoy Bulldogs. Honeyoy Bulldogs. I was the color analyst. Yeah. The play-by-play guy was Frank McGowan, uh-huh. and it's it was Honeyoy Cable TV. They had their own cable TV station. Nice, nice. And uh, every sport or what? sport basketball and some soccer okay all right and men's and ladies predominantly men's yeah well uh what's the key to being a good uh on-air personality for uh (laughs) basketball play-by-play at that time (laughs) it's funny because the kids who are now not kids anymore yeah you know made uh well not just my kids but the other kids that played they made recordings and to this day they'll go and watch them and listen to us and, your voice and say, hey, Brett Clayton, your dad is unbelievable. <laughs> or my daughter's uh, friends when I'd say, you know, oh, there goes Nicole. Nicole, she's traveling again or she's not hitting the open man. I never held back. I said, if the kid's playing poorly, I just said, you know, oh, Jimbo over there is just hurting the team right now. And <laughs> did, you have any, did, you have any, uh, did you have any memorable calls? Like, did you ever get to do any buzzer beaters or anything? Did you have any... Uh, Oh boy! Not that. What about so- soccer goals or fight? Some of those; those are some of the best calls ever. The you know the uh, I, when I lived in Italy for a year, and I just remember like uh, calcio d'angolo della testa. Goal! Yeah. Did you ever get to Back then We weren't that creative. No. Right. <laughs> now today, I'd be creative. Yeah. Right. Versus just saying, "Hey, just see that? Oh my God! Yeah. I can't believe he took a shot from there." Yeah, I love that. I love the the criticism. You see, honestly, I'm an NBA fan. And some of the color analysts for the NBA, like the Cleveland Cavaliers guy, Austin Carr, he will do exactly that. Like, a guy will take a bad shot and he'll go, I don't know what he was thinking with that one. <laughs> and I just love the thing, too. Anyway, I'm sorry. And I held no prisoners. Who's the best play-by-play person in all of sports? Ooh. This is a tough one. Ooh. Well, I will tell you, I think the best broadcaster in my opinion, in my lifetime, was Vin Scully. He was the Dodgers guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, for years and years. You know, my dad got MLB extra innings, that bit the baseball package, specifically because he wanted to hear other on-air commentators because my dad, like, loves on-air play-by-play talk, and he wanted to be able to tune in to the Dodgers anytime. You know, he only retired a handful of years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, he was yeah. there forever. But he ended up doing playoffs and things when the Dodgers yeah. weren't in it. He was a, a true pro. He was the guy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, M- Michael K., John Sterling, who's better? Oh, Michael K. You're a K guy, not a Sterling? What do you think of Sterling's I'm, home run calls? I'm not a big fan of either of them, to <laughs> no, be honest really? with you. Um, well, I know you're a Yankee guy, right? I am a huge Yankee yeah. guy. You don't like either one of them? Well, you know who I miss is Phil Rizzuto. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Or, but actually, I thought the guys that were, the guys I really like it, in current times is Paul O'Neill. Mm-hmm. is great. Ken Singleton. David Cohn. I all, I think they're all very good uh, broadcasters and Michael K does a good job. 
Um, Michael K does a good job, and I think John Sterling is pretty entertaining. Well, he's I, but he is he. There is a couple times where he's. I've heard him be a dick to Susan a couple times. Well, <laughs> there was this one time where uh, I think. Uh, what was it? They were the, the they were in Tampa and the power went out like a couple years ago, and he started talking like technicalities about how well Susan actually because the power has gone out, nothing we're saying is being transmitted over the air right now. And she goes, I don't think that's true, John. And he goes, It's true, trust me. And meanwhile, it's all on the air. It was just great. Yeah, there's a long fly ball there. Oh. No, nope, he caught it well yeah. before the warning track. Yeah. What? Are you watching the game? That's right. Uh, oh, anyway. All right. I'm sorry. So we were at the life. Co- I find it interesting that you decided to go to a life coach. That's a big decision to make. I mean, is a life coach a therapist? What What is the difference between a life coach and a therapist? Uh, a great listener. Okay. And they're they're not there to tell you what to do. They're there to hopefully help you reach your own conclusions, but asking questions. Yeah. And then watching your body language and your reactions to those questions and dialogue. And and sometimes it feels a little bit like a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my life coach was great. Uh, her first name was Barb. And, How many years uh, did you have her? I want to say three, two or three anyways. You know, and were you really open-minded going... I mean, you have to be open-minded to make that phone call to begin with, right? Oh, yeah, no. Were I you was, super open-minded going into this? Actually, I had read an article about her in a Democrat and Chronicle, and that's what triggered, maybe I should call her up and yeah. and meet with her, and, yeah. and she was great. And But what came out of that, because it was just, well, what what part about your job here do you really like, and what are other things that you really like? And that's where the... The Ouija board really, some of the attributes were really more about community service versus a manufacturing operation. And so this is where politics comes around, That's where right? Politics came. Except around. for that time when you were eighteen and you ran for the student was it the city ca- the student council and you didn't even get elected. Uh, now hold on, now I got to no. very quickly I got to yeah. sh- abbreviate my political career. Go ahead, go ahead. First of all, um, is a. a as a junior, but you serve as senior. Mm. I ended up uh, winning uh, as vice president of student council. Oh, okay. All right. So you did Pre- win in The president was uh, Robert. We beat the two most popular guys in high school at the time. And what was your campaign strategy at the... Um, we just had better volunteers. <laughs> it wasn't free soda or anything? Or like in like every episode of Saved by the it's Bell, there's always going to... No? It's really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, So then fast forward, I was a Democrat in my early years. Okay, all right. I ran for town assessor in the town of Richmond, which is Honeyway. Didn't know what I was doing there either. But in a basically three to two Republican town, I lost by 56 votes. And then um, eventually then I was going to run for town board, and this was in 1985, and uh, and I was involved in my business and all that. And the guy that was going to run for town supervisor on the Democratic line, um, his name was Henry Clayman. God rest his soul. He's he's passed now. And uh, he had run for office. He had been a town supervisor. And and so now I'm at the ripe old age of 33. And I say, I, you know, I really think I should run for town supervisor versus town board. So I went to Henry and uh, sat him down at his restaurant, 
said, Henry, here's why I think I should run instead of you. Now, I went to high school with his kids, uh-huh. and here I am having this conversation with Henry. And he looked at me and says, well, if you convince my wife, Donna, I'll step aside and let you run. So Donna comes. I gave her the same rationale, uh-huh. this 33-year-old person who has not held elective office, and she says, okay. <laughs> really? That's a hell of a sales job, man. It was. Yeah. And then... <clears throat> It was an even bigger sales job was convincing enough voters because the guy I was running against was a three-term incumbent, never lost an election on town board, town supervisor. He was a uh, deacon at St. Catholic or the Catholic Church. I went to high school with his kids, played ball with his kids. Oh, my God. Talk about uncomfortable. And, uh, and it was a Republican town and uh, one of the greatest moments ever was when we were in election headquarters on election night and the the results came in and I won by 10 votes. By 10 votes? And that was before they counted the absentees. Oh, oh, so it wasn't official yet. It wasn't official. Okay. And the final tally in the end was I did win by three votes. Oh my God! And uh, wait, what did you do to convince this this town to vote for the guy instead of the other guy they've been voting for for forever? I just went door to door, yeah, all over the town, which is hard to do in a population of three thousand people, <laughs> and it's rural, so it's not like you got a nice neighborhood like in Brighton here. You can, yeah, um, you get you're driving in between houses. You can't just walk house to house, right? Correct, and. Uh, a lot of legwork, had a good platform. But, you know, like Donna and Henry helped me a lot because they were experienced about what we should be talking about and, you know, fund balances and this and that and the other thing. And then, you know, Bob, who would not really, why would he expect to have competition from a 33-year-old guy yeah. who was currently separated from his wife and kids? Okay. And, so um, he just didn't work. He didn't think he had to work for correct. it. Correct. So on Saturdays, he's out mowing his lawn. Yeah, and you're going door to door. And I'm going door to door. Yeah. And um, it it was an amazing experience. That's a great feeling, too, especially because you just eked out that. So as you were going door to door, and I'm sure when you were going door to door, you were tired. There were probably nights you wanted to go home. You're hungry, right? And and then when you finally win, that's got to feel so good because then it paid off. It was worth every single door. Three of those doors won you that election. Oh, yeah. It was, but they're... Like, even the night before election, we were having a debate with the candidates on Honey Oye Cable TV. Plus, there was an audience in the in the Honey Oye gym at that time, which was a small gym. And it was broadcast live. And it was the night before. And so they had questions and answers and this and that. But you get an opening statement and closing statement. Yeah. And uh, the uh, my opponent, Bob... And, you know, you know, everybody knows me. I'm Bob Belmont. I've been your supervisor. I've been your town board member. I'm an executive at Eastman Kodak Company, and I've been married to the same woman. Oh, oh yeah, that a, was a, that's a shot, right? That was a yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, he's coming at you. That's a personal shot. <laughs> yeah. Okay then. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, I won, and yeah, and so I was town supervisor for two years. And then you're also out in Ontario County. You're on the Ontario County Board of Supervisors at the same for the same term. Automatically with that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you loved that, obviously, because yep. you continue on with it. What comes after that? 
Well, after I went to work with Refractron, yeah. after I left uh, our company, North American Filter, which was, by the way, we had sold that company to a British firm called BTR Inc., which was a multi-billion dollar international firm that held a whole bunch of manufacturing firms. And, you know, I wanted to become the next president because George, one of my partners, was going to retire. And uh, they said, no, we don't, we don't think you're the guy. We don't think you can grow a company and I kind of looked at him I said what do you think I've been doing for the last five years <laughs> yeah yeah and uh um, that suck by the way how sometimes it just comes down to like somebody doesn't think you're quote the guy correct like that just no. anyway sorry and, uh, I mean, we've all experienced that at some point or another in our life yeah so yeah. I ended up being the guy at Refractron and then um but I was always interested in politics life coach all that mm-hmm. and then uh Craig Doran, who was the assemblyman at that time, was now uh, had, uh, chief judge in the Rochester area, um, was going to run for Ontario County judge. If he wins, it creates a vacancy. So he won, and that creates a vacancy because it was in the middle of his term. So now they're going to have a special election, which is what they're now uh, well, actually, they're doing a primary, not a special, uh, special election. And then there were five of us that put our names in to be the Republican nominee now. I'm, I'm not switched. A, a, what makes you switch, by the way? National politics. Yeah. Because at the time, um, I'm a strong military guy. Uh, and quite frankly, even then, I was fiscal conservative. And and I just really felt uh, that was a much that was much more in alignment with some of those values. Don't they don't they say something like if you're like when you're young if you're if you're if you, something about if you're when you're young if you're liberal you don't have a heart and if you're if you're not liberal you don't have a heart and if you're older if you're conservative you don't have a brain or something like that so isn't there saying something along those lines or like like you know we all we're all we're all Democrats when we're young we're all Republicans when we're old when you're young like the the, the other side kind of feels all fun it's like fun it's like woohoo we're free and everyone loves everyone and then all of a sudden you're like oh shit money oh money oh that makes a lot more sense now now I see why people are, yeah. I think you might have flipped your mic off there. Go ahead. Just flip it back. No, the uh, it's at the top there. Yeah, there you go. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, what part did I... So, so you, you go to talk at colleges. Talk at colleges, students, and I say, okay, anybody who works part-time or full-time, please raise your hand. And out of 20, 22, 23 kids, 19 hands go up. I said, okay, for all those that are working, part-time or full-time, you all get a paycheck, right? Yep. You get a pay stub? Yep. Uh, you got a on your pay stub. It says gross pay, and net pay, right? Oh man, net pay is not way lower. <laughs> I said, well, what's the difference between gross pay and net pay? And they they really blank. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. Yeah. I go, it's called taxes. <laughs> oh man, didn't really think about that. <laughs> but you know, it's a basic fundamental level, and that doesn't mean. Um, that we shouldn't have taxes or that we sh- we don't need to raise taxes for good causes, but then how are the, the whatever money we're raising, how are we spending it? And that's where my business side comes in. When we're having discussions in Albany or anywhere, it's just about, okay, yep, we should spend money on infrastructure and schools uh, and all sorts of causes. I said, but there's a, also a tremendous amount of waste of people's money. And that's 
I think fundamentally, uh, from when I've, especially in my 20 years in the assembly, uh, the assembly Democrats really don't care whether the money's spent efficiently or economically or well. They just say more money will will we'll fix the everything. answer. It's we'll like it's like the magical fix. Like Correct. and it well, more taxes will magically fix everything. And it won't. And 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 the Republican side is no 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 smarter spending will fix everything. Right. Correct. Right. Uh, it's it's fascinating. To, but bring me. Let's try to get up to current here too, because I, I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. Let's get to current times here. So, how do you eventually get into the position? Uh, well, how do you? Let's talk assembly. Just how do you eventually get there? Uh, honestly, yeah. Hard work. Yep. Um, and just work as hard as you can. Put a lot of hours in that average legislators no interest or don't want to or whatever. And uh, especially in Albany, uh, you know, a lot of things in politics is about seniority. Who's been here the longest? They get the best committee assignments, this, that, and the other thing. Well, in the Republican conference, it was really if if you can show you've got merit or you work hard, do the job, provide extra help to the conference as a whole, to the greater cause, uh, then you don't have to be here for 50 years to be looked at for better positions within the conference. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And I worked like heck at home for my district. Uh, but when I was in Albany, I was also putting in extra time to help our conference grow our members, uh, take on task force, uh, public forums that try to get out messaging. And and so I worked hard and moved up in different uh, assignments to where I eventually became the minority floor leader. Uh, they call it minority uh, leader pro tem. So that's the person that leads the debate um, against, and I say against, in the in in the session with them against the majority, uh, obviously controlled by Democrats, mm-hmm. and that's really where I, what I call really really ascended, uh, because then you're in you're on that microphone every day. You're not only managing and debating legislation; you're managing the floor, the votes, watching what everybody's doing, and then on the other side of the aisle, you're dealing with the majority leader. And um, trying to deal with them and how they're running their conference. And at times it could be contentious. But when I was, uh, you know, floor leader, I had good relationships because I respected the folks on the other side. And, and, and you might reach across and punch me for this, but n- nobody's always right, right? Correct. Nobody's always right. There's times they're right. They, they got points. I mean, it's not like everything they say is exactly wrong. So you were the guy who was kind of in that position to argue against them, but also respect them enough to occasionally go, okay, good point. Right. Right? And you do it without demonizing them, regardless of what they're saying. Or, you know, the only thing that I would ever get a little upset if if they were saying things that were inappropriate on the floor. They weren't being mutually respectful. Oh, so they're bashing Republicans, you're saying? Yeah. That type stuff? Yep. Yeah. 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 God. So politics for dummies for a second. The job of an assemblyman is create legislature. Is that right? Am I wrong? Uh, See, I did uh, government. Very very quickly. It's been many years for me. Two houses in the legislature, the Senate. There's 63 senators, which you divide 63 into 19 million people. And that's 300 some odd thousand. That's the size of each Senate district. So geographically and population wise, they're they're much larger. In the Assembly, we have 150 members. So you take 150 into 19 
million plus, and it comes out to roughly 130,000 people. Uh, that you represent. That you represent. Yeah. Well, the difference is, is the demographics of the district and the geography of the district. And the geography of the district has been controlled by the Democrats. That's called redistricting, mm-hmm. which is done every 10 years. And that's where you, our geography that we have to cover, like the last eight years, my district is all of Ontario County and the northern half of Seneca County. The district I was in before uh, was um, the uh, eastern side of Ontario County, all of Seneca County, nine towns in Cayuga County, four towns in Onondaga County, and one town in Cortland County. And from one end of the district to the other, it would take me two hours and 20 minutes to drive one way without a stop. Wow. Wow. That's a big area. And But they drew them those lines that way uh kind of the leftovers it was always the leftovers they were just kind of throwing a bunch of stuff in there like yeah they right. took care of their party first yeah and it wasn't about you know they would create districts specifically that benefited the democrat party and they would create districts that were left over to the republicans to fight over the the crumbs so in your time in the assembly, what is the the thing you are most proud of? The piece of work that you did that you just, you know, this is the one. Oh, Polly, I got to tell you about this one. This one was the, this was a real win. Well, the the best thing I can tell you right now is that there was, there was legislation that people have no idea that it started with Brian Kolb because the way Albany works is that uh, the legislation that you're allowed to, if you will, be the prime author of is local legislation. Statewide legislation, you can create a bill, think of a bill, put bills together, but what happens is the majority, being the Democrats, will take your bill, put their name on it, mm-hmm. and say it's their idea. Mm-hmm. That's just the way Albany works. And, um, you know, uh, two uh, bills that come to mind because I'm going to I'm going to answer your question because it's not one thing but two of the bills that were and there were many but two bills in particular was uh, medical marijuana was my bill it was your bill my bill and nobody would ever think that that would be the Republicans bill right? that is correct right Wait, so so medical marijuana you were the one who said all right I, you know what it's time to write this thing up let's do this now there were quote unquote medical marijuana bills introduced before my bill uh-huh but they were really legalizing marijuana. Oh. So when I introduced my bill, which actually was a result of a constituent coming into my office with her daughter, who was wearing a protective helmet because of her uh, seizures. And she said, all over-the-counter conventional medicine will work. Medical marijuana will work, but we can't get it in New York State. And that was the one that made you say, you know what, I'm convinced. Yep. Yeah. And... So I introduced. See, I think people don't realize how human the moments are for you. Oh. You know, because politics sometimes seems like a big game or something. I mean, to us regular people, right? I mean, you live it, so it's different to you. But to me, it just seems like the thing I see on TV. But it's so human. That was such a human moment. This, this mom is in your office, and you legitimately just go, we got to do this. And yep. you're in the position to do it. That's yep. what's great. So we introduced the bill, and then the chairperson and prior author 
Democrat of other marijuana bills was Richard Gottfried. His office called mine and said, we'd love your bill. We want to make some other changes. Uh, and these are the changes. Are, would you be okay with us taking your bill? <laughs> and I said, sure. Well, because but, but, yeah, I love that because you're you're in your head. You're like anything as long as it happens. If that's what has to happen for this bill to come true, then yes, take it. Is that really where the motivation is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the other but bill. No one would ever know that you're the author. Correct. And the other bill, um, similar in nature, was there was a volunteer firefighter from the district that had cancer. Yeah. But because he was a volunteer, volunteer firefighter, he wasn't able to get coverage uh, because it was cancer as part of his duties. And so I introduced a bill in the assembly. Uh, Senator Mike Nazzolio introduced it in the Senate uh, to provide volunteer firefighters with cancer coverage if it's as a result of their duties that or their too. volunteer efforts. And that's no-brainer. Well, yeah. no-brainer. <laughs> Took a while. Uh, gave the bill up to Democrats, which is fine, and uh, it has become law. But nobody knows that those two bills were mine. Yeah. Right. You're right. And does that bother you at all? You're, you're like, it almost sounds to me, this is such a weird comparison, but it almost sounds to me like the music industry. You're like the writer of the hit song, who everyone thinks Lady Gaga is the author of that Correct. song. But in reality, Brian Cole wrote that Lady Gaga song. Somebody told me a long time ago, it's not important about getting the credit, it's about poor, important about getting it done. Yeah, yeah. And you have to tell yourself that because, you know, it becomes personal. Right. And And everybody wants to have some time in the the limelight to say hey look as yeah. an elected official i did deliver yeah but you know that's just sometimes i think that's just a little bit of petting on the back can i ask you about recreational marijuana though sure so now the liberal side of me has to come out for a second i'm sitting here for a minute i got a, i got a i got a beer i might have a second beer you know whatever a third beer eventually i get a little buzz if i was sitting here and i was smoking a joint same exact results right I take a couple puffs and i get a little why can't we have recreational marijuana what is what is holding us back on? well i th i think we will have it I think what's uh, it's much easier to stop a bill than it is to get a bill done on anything. Mm -hmm. Just a quick aside, it took 14 years to have New York State allow interstate shipping of wine. Just shipping, buying, selling, shipping. 14 years. Just to give you an example. Mm -hmm. So with recreational marijuana, conceptually, most people don't have a problem with it. But it's like everything else, it delves into details. Uh, how are you going to deal with, um, how will law enforcement be able to determine on someone that's uh, impaired with drug use, is there a fair test? Um, the transfer of money, right now, the federal government uh, says it's a crime. With marijuana, yeah, that's that's a whole weird thing too. That there's a federal law and then local law. Like it's, and with the federal yeah. law, though, it over it puts a kibosh on any of the banks handling your cash. Yeah, well, right. that's a problem. Yeah, because it generates cash, and then you have a lot of people that work in the uh, drug and alcohol recovery business, and they're good people. They believe it's a gateway drug, so they're putting their pressures. All the um, they're all trying to put their efforts because they think it's it's going to be not good for uh, people in general. Um, but if you ask the average person on the street, yeah, you care if somebody's smoking pot, I guarantee you 80% is going to say, no, I don't care. 
Right, right. But when you get into the specifics of how you're going to implement the legislation, how you're going to implement the logistics of the cash, um, uh, bringing in or shipping out uh, because of the federal government and it's against federal law. Um, you know, if the feds just came and said, all right, each state do what you want to do, we're go for it. We won't legalize it, but we won't illegalize it. That would be, be a big step. That would be, be a big moment. step. Yeah. And that, that's what they're trying to do in Washington. Do you believe that will happen sooner than later or later than sooner? Uh, in general, I would say sooner rather than later. Okay. Okay. What do you think of Cuomo? Um, Loaded question, I guess, right? No, it's not really. Um, <laughs> I think early on, I've I've known work with Andrew Cuomo since he was Attorney General. Um, and in his early years, I his early couple years of governor, I thought he was on the right track. He was more of a fiscal conservative. And when I'm talking about trying to spend money wisely, not cut, slash, and burn. And that's what everybody thinks immediately. Oh, I Republicans, you don't want to cut, slash, and burn. No, we just want to spend our money better. And, um, and we see the waste. There's billions of dollars of waste in Medicaid program. It doesn't mean people shouldn't get Medicaid services. But there's so much waste and fraud that mm-hmm. that's four and a half billion a year mm-hmm. that the taxpayers are paying, and nobody wants to do anything because you're going to alienate the healthcare workers union, especially in the New York City area. So, but Andrew Cuomo, uh, quite frankly, I think at times can be brilliant, um, but he's not. Um, he's very narcissistic. He's very thin-skinned. Um, you know, when he first got elected as governor and I was the minority leader, we had a conversation when I said, uh, governor, I said, I'm never going to call you names or make it personal, but I will speak out if I disagree with your public policy. I don't care if he's a Democrat. I really don't. I don't care if anybody's a Democrat. I just, I care about public policy. And that's what drives me is how can we make lives better? How can we take away regulations that don't harm small businesses? Um, Et cetera, et cetera. That's my fo- always been my focus. Oh, how about the, with the coronavirus? He seems to have really. Sp- I think a lot of people at the very beginning kind of liked. He had like a take charge attitude, and and I think a lot of people liked that right at first. And then he just lost people, right? Because then everyone started to feel like he was. You just said like narcissistic. Kind of felt like he started to be a. I don't know. He started to be. Not not the governor of New York, but the the king of New York, right? And that's Started. what he and that's what he wants. He would prefer. And I'm just and he of course would never admit to this. He would prefer that there wouldn't be a legislature. He thinks it's um, a barrier. Uh, he to, wants to be able to dictate, right? Yeah. And so what he does, and quite frankly, the the two majorities now in the Senate and the Assembly are Democrats, and they they have no backbone. They don't stand up to them. And I'm not talking about street fights or anything like that, but there are certain things in principle you got to say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. We count too. But because he's got so much power, as any governor would, in the budget process, which is where all the money is. So if he says, I'm not going to let you spend money here or do these grants or whatever, there's not much they can do without shutting government down. And that's his ace and hole because he knows that they don't want to take the political heat for shutting government down on a fight over the budget. And with the way the structure is and the law is, the go- any governor, whoever's governor of the state, has enormous power over the purse strings. And that's bad. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why you've seen failures on his economic development front. Um, is $750 million, uh to Tesla and Buffalo has been an economic disaster. You know, I, Photonics in Rochester. That was a tough one. That's a tough one. Wasn't Joe Biden here? That was, that was, right. That was like a disappearing act or whatever. I don't know how to, it was like, what the hell happened to that? Syracuse, Utica. <laughs> and my point is, it's like everything else. We say this again about the Assembly Democrats or the legislature in general. Look at, we know you got the votes. So we, we not pretending that we're in charge here. But we'd like to think we could offer stuff or ideas and suggestions that can make it better. So I can tell you just even this last, always, it's every week. They'll get up, pass a bill because they got the votes. We get up, challenge it, debate it, point out the flaws. And then they'll say, yeah, we, it could be better. But oh well. Oh, but oh well. Oh, God. And true story. Isn't isn't New York a, a shitty state to be a Republican in just because there's there the, so much of the state is Republican, but like just the cities are Democrat. I mean, am I getting that right? Isn't it right? And so like the the Democrats kind of always hold that that high hand just because they've got the cities. Well, uh, uh, but the state uh, is red. Like the whole state is red. Andrew Cuomo. Uh, there are sixty two counties. Andrew Cuomo is only one. I think 20, 22 out of 62 counties, and he's governor. And he's, and he's governor. Overwhelming. Right. right. And the biggest reason Are there is other states where it's New like York that, City. though? That's just New York, right? I mean, New York is a weird state like well, that. Well, you got uh, probably California with LA and San Francisco. Okay, right, 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 right. So if you when they made a big deal about the last presidential election, yeah. if you took California and New York and just pulled them out of the 50, set them aside over here for a minute- Donald Trump wins the popular vote and the electoral vote. Yeah, yeah. But now you swap in the popular vote, that's what skews it. But it's all because of the uh, demographics of those two states. Now, has your voice, you're not technically minority leader. You're not minority leader anymore, right? I stepped down from that in January. You stepped down. Did did you lose your voice at all with that? Because you said you were on the microphone every single day. Did that affect the ability you have to get a hold of somebody like to be able to actually be on the microphone and say no but what it does is it uh you lose the ability to be on the microphone with the albany press Uh. so they're the the leader of the conference is the spokesperson so i still speak out locally uh if a radio station does an interview or tv yeah I'll do interviews all the time, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But as far as you'll even do a crappy little podcast in some yeah, guy's absolutely. front yard. Well, of yeah. course, it's for the check. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry. I I how do I tell him there's no check, Lauren? Because I am retiring at the end of the year. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. That's great. I actually didn't know that. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know that. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm not running for re-election. Yeah. Um, well, you didn't. Why didn't? Why didn't you want to retire just you know after the thing? Like, you know. Well, I, quite frankly, it's it's like everything else. You know, when I stepped down for the leader, when it, when when I first got arrested, uh, there was so much media attention. Yeah. Ungodly amount of media attention. Yeah. And I didn't want to distract from our conferences, messaging, and they would they wouldn't let it go. They were calling our members. Don't you think you should step down as leader? And ba 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 ba. And so I said no. I, on my own, I said, I'm going to step down so I'm not used as a reason 
um, in an election year. Was the pressure from the public, or were you getting pressure from your coworkers as well? None. None from the coworkers? It was just me. Yeah. God. And the public. I mean, the public was yelling at you, well, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, but they're going to because you're a public figure, and of course they're going to yell at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're supposed to be held at a higher standard, and I, I don't misunderstand that. It yeah. just it, it goes with the territory. Um, but I, the intensity yeah. in my 20 years in the assembly was beyond anything I've seen about anything. It's, it is gotcha media, isn't it? it it's bad. And I'm glad to be out. I'm glad to be out of media. So I'm like a month and a half retired from media myself. And God, when something happened, like when they smell blood, they're sharks. They smell a little bit of blood. And they were, that was, that was crazy. I'm really sorry for what you had to go through. I'm not, not saying that what you did was right. I don't even know exactly what you did, to be honest with you. How much can you talk about what you did? Well, I can't talk a lot because the case is still pending. Yeah, right, right. And the reason I can't talk about it is because my lawyer is saying, you know, there's issues here. Yeah. And so I can't give you the specifics, but I also can't talk about those issues because it's still in the court. Well, so it's June, and this happened uh, New Year's Eve, didn't it? Correct. Well, so what, why is it six months later? Or st- why isn't this figured out yet? Like, Part of it was because so of it towards the end about the legal side, people making motions, and they have to review it, and, and then schedules, and then COVID. And yeah. once COVID hit, that shut everything that, down. That did shut the courts down. That's right. But one of the things that where I was like, and I think I even texted you during it to show you my support was, uh, the thing about that you said that apparently you said like my wife was driving or something like that. That part pissed me off so much because they were pretending you were serious. Like they were, they were like, oh, he's blamed his wife. Can you believe it? And she was sleeping in the house, and and I'm sitting here going, he's. Obviously, he's kidding. Like any human being knows he was kidding. If any, it's the New York Post, evidently. Yeah, right. Anybody that knows me personally, personally knows knows the, that that's cold. He's yes trying to make a funny. It a it's a shitty situation, right, and you're he's like just trying to let's lighten the mood for a second here. This is crazy. Oh God! You know what? Uh, the other thing that bothered me is like, didn't you? You really almost made it home. Like you were there. You were there. You don't have to comment, but you were home. We were home. Yeah. We were not on the road. Oh God! And um, I, yeah. and that's the thing. When this is all said and done, we'll we'll come back and chat about chat about it because what everybody doesn't know that I know and my attorney knows is they'll be shocked. Oh, really? There's a big piece? You're saying when this story is told, yeah. there's a big piece that we don't know about. That is correct. Is that killing you at all not to just shout that from the rooftops right now? Well, yeah, because I want to... Let... Yeah, I mean, people are just terrible about this. They, they make suppositions. You know, even the media, uh, and I, I think it was Channel 10 or 8, crash. There was no crash. No. What was it? Did you were like roll into the ditch or something? Or? I slid into the ditch in the driveway because we just moved in. There's no lights at the bottom of the driveway. Yeah. And next time, and we had, we have probably 500 witnesses out there because they stop and look at my driveway ever since that day. Ah. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, there was no crash. 
Yeah, that's right. I remember it was a crash, and and then you blamed your wife, according to the media. Yeah, like, and then and then she says, "I'm not taking the blame for that." Yes, so right. I need to change that story. And then you were like the Beatles. You like come out of court, and you're surrounded by 47 media people. My God, who the biggest story of the day is that a guy had a drink in Pittsburgh and drove home. Like that happens every single day. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I don't. No, no. To what extent you it, can talk it's, about it? It's fine, but I I'll talk about. There was a murder, and I bet you made bigger news than the murder. Top of the fold. Yeah. Yeah. That day. Yeah. It was a. It was a murder in Canadagua. Oh really? And they, you were still the bigger news. It's a true story. Yeah. In my, Kolb, in bold print. I said, "Are you kidding me? A murder." It, what what do you think it is about human nature that people just like love they love to see somebody who's on top get like knocked down a peg? Like what is that? Where does that come from? I can't even I can't even imagine it cuz I've never ever I've n- I can't think that way. And how did you keep your cool when you were surrounded by all the media on your way out of court that one day? Cuz you honestly like you talked to them for a minute or something. Like how did you not just tell them all to go f themselves? Well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I have a very good attorney. Yeah. Who said, "Brian, do not say anything." Do not say anything. And uh but wow. What's I've always been the most accessible elected official you'll ever meet. Oh, absolutely. Anybody calls for an interview anytime, I make time, I go to stations. You're in my front yard in Brighton right now. You're the guy who made medical marijuana possible in New York, and you're sitting in some guy's front yard in Brighton having a conversation on a podcast. Correct. You're the most accessible politician in history, I yeah, think. It's amazing. Like, you called me on my cell phone when you thought I said something bad about your wife once. <laughs> like, I mean, the, come on. Like, nobody does that. You are. But so it, it goes with the territory. Yeah, but so wow, that's you know what I will be honest with you. That's interesting though. What you say about how that there's something about that night, some piece of the story that nobody knows about that that you believe is going to completely uh, make you innocent, right? Is that what you're well, saying? I can't say that um, because it's up to just a huge piece of the story that the never judicial got judicial decision make its final decisions. Yeah. But all I'm saying is there's a lot more to the story, and if you were to share that with normal people having around a conversation they go what really and that's wow. what you can't talk about and what do you know when your court date is when will we hear that no we're waiting because of the whole covid thing yeah yeah god i can't wait to hear but hey back to the story so that did make you then step down as leader right <laughs> correct uh but you're gonna ride out the year then you retire at the end of the year yeah and are you gonna really retire you seem like a guy who's not gonna retire well i'm you're a gonna, worker i'm not gonna retire what are you gonna do i have no idea you gotta, I could do anything. Back to business? Or are you going to take up like golf or something? Or no, <laughs> too, too late for that one. Although I do like love playing golf. We just don't seem like a guy who's going to go sit at home as long. I'm, I'm not going to. No, no. I don't know. You know, the thing is, with my background, I could, I could head up a not for profit. What know, about a small, small sauce factory in Bergen, New York? Do you uh, think you could uh, come be a plant what's, manager? What's the uh, what's the pay like? It's not. Not what you're used to. It's a little lower. You are Italian by Oh, yeah. That's, well, what's your, wait, what's your maiden name? Well, my, name, my maiden name is Marcatel, but, uh, you know, that was changed for political correctness. Marcatelli or something? Marcatella. Marcatella? I love it. <clears throat> Pretty good. That's why you get a snag in Italian. I like that. That's good. She makes a good a meatball. Good a meatball. I yeah. Do. Yeah, I know you do. What's your secret? What goes in the meatball? Oh, I can't tell you. It's a secret. That's right. Beef, pork, veal, or just beef? 
Meatloaf mix? I do the meatloaf mix. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to go. All right, Brian Kolb. I think we said I don't want to keep you any longer because I've already taken way too much of your no, time. That's fine. But I appreciate you coming out and doing this. It was fun. What do you what do you have planned for the rest of the year from a political standpoint? Uh we're still in session. We're still doing bills. We we're doing it virtually right now for yeah. the most part. And um handling emails and phone calls like we always would. We got a lot of we help a lot of people on unemployment. Uh, myself in my office, uh, we still get letters. We still get questions about legislation. So we'll continue to do all that, as I've always done. So, and I'm still speaking out. Uh, every, yep. You know, I've written ever since I've been in office for 20 years. I've written a column about Albany or issues. Is that the thing that's on your website, the yeah. assembly? Yeah, I was looking through those today. 20 years. Yeah. Every week. Yeah. And... Um, it's very funny the the number of times that that column was never printed and by the way 98% of my columns were always about policy not about Democrat or Republican really but media and it's public information it's it's things that voters want to know what's going on yeah and and that's the thing where the the media especially the Albany media they don't tell two sides of the story they say, well, this is what the two majorities and the governor are doing. So even when they're coming up with stuff that's really bad for New York and New York's businesses, you think they would take the time to even put in that story? Well, here's what the minorities are saying in this house is about this legislation, about these policies. It's only what the governor says and what the two majorities say. And it's the worst mistake ever. It's a disservice to the public. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, uh, the I'll, we'll end it with this, last question. We're a very divided country, politically, I don't know if you've ever been on Facebook. People what? just like to yell at each other on Facebook. And Twitter. But, and Twitter, yeah. Everyone, you know, everyone is positive that their side is right and the other side is a bunch of idiots, right? Is there anything that can bring that together? And, and to tell you the truth, I think a lot of us are kind of like me. I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of in the middle somewhere. Sometimes I agree over there, sometimes I agree over there, I live my life. I don't know what to tell you. But there's a lot of people that are really caught up in my team. My team has to win. My team has to win. You know, I remember uh, when I was still working on the Wee Show after Trump got elected, we were getting texts where people were like, victory is ours. And I just remember thinking like, wow, like this is, wow, this is, we're divided. People are mad at each other over there. Is there anything that's ever going to bridge that? I hate to say it, but right this second, I think the only thing that will bring us together is a national tragedy, mm. uh, 9-11. Mm -hmm. And I I think uh, COVID was having that impact. It was at the beginning, right? Um, and then, of course, we went and made that political. Yeah. You, but for a minute, that was bringing us together. That's You're correct. Right. And yeah. it's sad to say that, but... Um, and Americans do that quite well, but right now the anger is—I've never seen anything like it. And, so I was going to say you've been—you have been around a while. I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying you've been around a while. Yeah, Your sure. experience. This is the angriest you've ever seen the public. Yeah. Yeah. This is—it's crazy. I remember right after 9/11. You're right. It was like we came together for a minute. It was a weird silver lining around such a terrible tragedy. Was that everyone all of a sudden we were on one team for a little while? That was a really cool time. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know if we... You're right. 
what is going to bring us back there? You don't want to wish that something like that happens, but no. God. But right. Maybe it would be recreational marijuana. You know what? Let's write the bill. Okay. <laughs> How many pages is a bill, by the way? How many pages do you have to write for a bill? Is it like uh, a thousand pages? Believe it or not, yeah. a, a bill could be one page. Really? Or hundreds. Really? Um, How long like, was your medical marijuana bill? How many pages was oh that? Oh, boy. That was a big one? Not really. I, I, I don't want to use a number because I'm saying, he said it was 30 and it was really 80. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cold lies yeah. in podcast. <laughs> His own bill doesn't know how many pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for coming. Lauren, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. Brian, it was thanks. Thanks for spending this much time, too. Yeah, this I enjoyed was, it. This was a huge chunk of time, and I'm very appreciative. No, I loved it. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right. I All think right. we'll call All it. Right. Here we go.